1: Enjoy the episode. Excited to welcome London Lions head coach Vincent McCauley to the podcast. McCauley is the current owner and head coach of the British Basketball League franchise London Lions. McCauley is a two-time BBL coach of the season, one-time BBL championship winner, two-time BBL cup winner, one-time BBL trophy winner. Macaulay has also been a front row seat witness to both the BBL's development and strains for over 30 years, having spent time as a player and a coach and an owner.
0: Welcome to the podcast, Vince. Wow, I'm delighted to be here with you, Chris. Thank you for having me
1: on. Well, it's exciting. And uh, what a unique thing. You're an owner and
0: a coach. Maybe let's just start with that. Uh, Tell us about that process. Wow, (laughs) that's a a process that's been going on for almost 30 years now. You know, I've grown up and always believed that if you want something, you've got to go and try and achieve it. Um, And as a young basketball player, I was a a late developer as a basketball player, you know, 16, 17, uh, under Jimmy Rogers. Um, he, he, He taught me that basketball was a game that could take me places, go and achieve. And as I started playing in the British basketball system, I realized there's not a lot of opportunity for British players, not a lot of opportunity for British coaches, not a lot of opportunity for British teams. You know, how do we put the best of all of these things together? So for me, I had this vision of a kind of a semi-version of a college basketball team where it was a still a pro, pro uh, basketball organization, but the community was heavily engaged in what the club was doing. So, you, you know, just like in college where you can't, well, certainly before now where you've got the, the image rights, you can't earn any money, but actually you can go and see Bill down the road. He'll make sure you can eat Okay. You can go and see Susan down the road. Make sure you can get up and down the floor. So I had this vision that if we had this kind of a club in the UK, we could build community clubs, uh, and that's what pushed me towards getting my own first club um, and and being able to try to develop that system and community engagement. So it was just a case of it wasn't there, so I had to create it.
1: Well, and create it you did, and uh, you, 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 I mean many experiences through the years, but you know we'll focus mainly on the London Lions in your. Most uh, immediate part and uh, league champion or championship cup winners last year, uh, yeah. but a tremendous success there as well. And I know in one of the other things you launched, and I want you to talk about it because this is the segue is this new basketball pathway to develop the game within London itself. So just give us a brief overview, because there are people really trying to build basketball in Great Britain and you're a big part of that.
0: Oh, absolutely. There are people, I mean, and I certainly I'm, I'm glad you said that because I don't want anyone to have the impression that basketball in the UK is only about London. We've got great clubs up and down the, uh, the country with really hardworking people. Um, for us in, in London, the key thing is the best athletes are in London. We've got a real high proportion of young people who play basketball already registered in London. Um, now, what we have, because we're an uh, underdeveloped market, we've got the natural thing of I want to go and play in the States. And that's what every young player wants to do. Now, in the beginning, it kind of works. It's, you know, you find a young kid, eight years old, nine years old, teach he or she how to play. They start getting good, 14, 15. They're playing with men, women. Prep schools see them. Hey, coach, you know, I've been contacted. This is what's happening. And this whole thing opens up about high school basketball, NCAA. Wow, this is fantastic. Isn't it great, coach? How do I go? And... You don't mind, you let them go. The next one comes along, you let them go. And you suddenly find out that all you're doing is producing players to go. Because when the guys come back, the game is underdeveloped. They don't want to play here because we can't pay them enough. So then they head off to Europe. Um, So this cycle has been going on for a very long time. Now you look over to Europe, and they've kind of broken that cycle. They've got a situation where they've got facilities. They've got good coaches. They've got good competitive leagues doesn't matter how good or how, how, how not so good you are. There's a level that you can go and there's a level that you can a- hope to achieve. The, the, the salary is good. The conditions are good. So actually, do I want to go to, a, if, I'm a, if I'm a young Greek player, young Turkish player, do I want to go to college for four years, maybe one year high school, that's five years and see what happens, blah, blah, blah. When I come back, all my mates have been playing in Turkey for five years, earning money, being professionals, and the job I wanted to take They've already got, so they've cracked it. Our problem in cracking that is, of course, making sure that we can also match those wages, give a real life opportunity for the young boy or girl who comes back to play over here. So the whole thing about little pockets of development, uh, former Barking Abbey, have a great development program. Uh, Myerscough in Manchester, terrific. Leicester, terrific. Solent, awesome. But for us, if we we thought, I can't say to, like, young Cameron Hildreth, who just left to go to Wake Forest, how do I say to him, don't go to Wake Forest and all the bright lights, stay in London, play, blah, blah, blah. So we have to create that opportunity where the kids now have a serious look at it and think, if I go away for four years, I may not get back into the London team. And that's what we're trying to create.
1: And it's very interesting because, again, that's, as you said, it's not always the case in Europe. And I've been to other countries in Europe where... Players aren't interested in the NCA because they know that there's model is in place for them to progress immediately to the professional career while still getting their education. And uh, that's been a big part of it. So this is not common. And what you're trying to do, obviously, in addition to grow Great Britain basketball, is to create a pathway for players.
0: Uh, Correct. You, you know, so, so what we have now is we have our London Lions uh, junior program, which starts from under the age of 12, 14, 16. Uh, we have a couple of academies in the lower league academy, in the higher league academy. Um, you can play up and down depending on how good you are. and what's the kind of little icing on the cake is we now have a great partnership with the University of East London. So that means now we can actually offer you a scholarship. You don't take student loans, nothing at all. It's just like the scholarships of the state. you don't have to pay. We'll look after all your costs there. Now, if you're 18, going on 19, you're going into your first year of university wanting to do all your all your dreams. You can still practice every day with the protein. You get an opportunity to play with the pro team. So now, actually, you're doing exactly what that NCAA side promises you, but you're already on the pro ladder. Because I think the big thing is on the pro ladder, because basketball players don't have a long career. And if you're on the pro ladder at 19 and you're finishing university four years later, you're already four year pro. You know, that's a very hardened young player that can maybe continue to stay with with the Lions or any other teams in, in the UK who went to European competition or actually go to Europe as a much higher level player than a fourth division, Spain, fifth division, Turkey, or or, or whatever it may be.
1: And and despite the lack of resources, the lack of funding, especially from the government level on down, uh, Great Britain basketball has actually improved quite a bit, right? And especially, I mean, the women's side, great national team results. Uh, The men's side in this open window just had some
0: good results. So some things are rising, aren't they? They are. They're definitely rising. And it almost makes you want to cry how good they're doing because imagine how much better they could do with that support. So Mm -hmm. at the moment, it's all about people basically giving blood, sweat, and tears. Um, Now, it's really important to separate that as a sport, and certainly me as an individual, I'm not suggesting that other sports don't get funding. That's far from what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is that British basketball gets fair funding, fair funding for what we do in the community. Clubs up and down the country, they are huge stalwarts in their community. If you take a typical uh, rugby league team or rugby team, they get in excess of 40 to 50 million because of the work they do in the community. We do three times more work than any rugby team in the country and we get nothing. And that's where the fair funding lets us down. But to say that, these guys have had great results, like you just mentioned. It's because of the willingness that the British player has and coaches, both male and female, to support that.
1: Well, and the other part to that is obviously the multicultural attraction of basketball uh, in a country that is very diverse and becoming more diverse, right? So basketball can really serve a need
0: for the community if done properly. Absolutely, because you know, we know we have our traditional sports you know rugby, football, cricket. We get that. We know the Premier League is through the roof. We get that. But all the, all the kids who want to play basketball, you know, we're number two behind uh, football for boys. but number two behind netball for girls. We, we're beginning to open up some outdoor facilities. With you know, clubs are beginning to build their own facilities. As you know, as you spoke to Coach Nostro at the Leicester Riders, we've got the Newcastle Eagles have their own facilities. Probably this time next year, Sheffield Sharks will have their own facility. Now, that is the game changer in terms of access and time to all these wonderful kids up and down the country who want to play. Um, and then, of course, that's where we're talking about the athletes that we're now attracted into the game because that's what's going to separate us from, from, from some of the European competition, to be honest. So challenges and uh, different
1: things in place, and uh, we'll, we'll look forward to following that uh, throughout your time and many other coaches' time. But let's get back into the basketball part. Uh, Jimmy Rogers, a great mentor for you. So tell us some of the takeaways from that experience that helped drive your passion for basketball and basketball coaching.
0: Thank you for that, Jimmy. Jimmy is... Uh, is a, a real stalwart for the entire pathway of, of British basketball. And I say that because, you know, I'm a product of Jimmy Rogers. Justin Robinson is a product of Jimmy Rogers. Luo Deng is a product of Jimmy Rogers, uh, not to mention all the female basketball players and young people who've gone on to have successful careers on and off the floor. Jimmy found me in Liverpool as a 16, 17-year-old basketball player. I'd never played the game before. He had me playing on a regular basis. Caught my fire because... He introduced me to the, the, the old Lakers when they first started winning their championships. He talked to me about this game as a, as a community tool. When we came to London, I, I was doing my, my courses in London for my education. Jimmy moved down to London and called me up, and we established the Brixton Topcats Basketball Club. We were fortunate. I mean, we didn't know at the time some of the great things that were happening around us, but because we were forming a, a club in South London, Nike got very heavily involved because South London is seen worldwide as a huge fashion driver. You know, if it works from a fashion perspective in South London, it will work around the world. So Michael, uh, Michael Jordan's Air uh, Jordan brand was pushed and launched with us in Brixton. So can you imagine this, you know, downtime gym right around the corner from the Brixton tube station? With, you know, 500 young kids from the community all packed in there with Michael Jordan uh, in his first year in the NBA. I mean, you couldn't fail but to be inspired to to go and achieve, you know. Now, I was a film school student alongside my basketball, so I was making a movie of Michael. And I remember a specific question that I asked Michael in that Brixton uh, gymnasium. And I said to him, what can you say to these young people who are watching you? And Michael said, well, they should make their own footsteps because their footsteps may be greater than mine. Now, that was an inspirational moment that, that we had together because, obviously, we all had young players who went on to play high level from Brixton but most importantly, Lou Deng, who came from that same very club and went to play for the same Chicago Bulls, you know, as inspired by what this young man did for our club. We wouldn't have had the Brixton Topcats basketball club if it wasn't for Jimmy Rogers. And Jimmy went on to, be, like I said, you know, um Louis brother uh, who, who who went to college in the States, his sisters who played professionally in Europe, Justin Robinson, um, so many players across across the GB uh, scheme uh, the archive, lo- lots of guys. Now, We all use basketball as a tool for our community. And that passion that Jimmy had is that I try to carry on in in what I've done with the London Lions um, to inspire young people to understand that our beautiful game can be used for your life. And that's what I do. And that's how Jimmy, you know, got me on that track.
1: Uh, That's awesome to hear. And, uh, you know, great to get a little bit of uh, perspective on uh, British basketball. And uh, coming to your team's success then, uh, some of the things that have led to success for your team in particular, and one of them is a pressing style of play. So can you give us a general outline of what you do in terms of pressing
0: well we've always played uh, and I've always believed in in a couple of things, which is uh, an aggressive game um I believe you know you've got to try to put your position a little bit put them in an uncomfortable position um take them out of the things that they like to do um, my age as an older guy, you know it was you know the Georgetown Hoyers. Patrick Ewing, what John Thompson did with those guys, and and that kind of 94 feet of action is what we did at Brixton, is what we do at London. Um, And being able to select players who want to play that way. Now, so when you're in a country like the UK where um, your basketball isn't necessarily respected in the rest of Europe, and you look at the rest of Europe, and you look at the investment in the rest of Europe, how how could we take a team from London and compete? Well, you've got to find a unique way, because you're not going to beat the Greek teams and the Turkish teams, at their own game, you have gotta find a different way. So we have this kind of hybrid way where you know if everybody was six foot seven and six foot eight, could run, jump, shoot, dunk, what would that look like against the big stiffs of Europe, you know, six, ten, seven foot, very slow up the floor, slow point, you know, slow, chunky point guards that we could get by and that uh, we got our length. So I always try to imagine that kind of team on the floor. So, in terms of what we like to do on the floor is we like to push you. We'll, we'll press you full court, whether that be in a man-to-man situation, I'm going to jump you, or we'll try and be a little bit more cat-and-mouse and, and kind of 2 to one you back into a zone or back into a man which you don't know. And it just depends on what the opposition's point line looks like that determines how, which of those presses we want to go with. But that's something that we believe is a key part of how we play.
1: Hey, Coach. Brief introduction from the podcast. Have you heard of Spotify Green Room? Spotify Room is a free audio-only social media platform for sports fans. Start enjoying ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. Talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes, and executives in real time. I host a room every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the conversation. Follow me at B-Ball immersion on Twitter to be notified when my room goes live and then uh, w- with pressing one of the advantages is you can play a lot of players one of the disadvantages at the professional level is potentially you're not playing your best players enough so I'm wondering how you've
0: learned to balance that as a professional coach yeah well that's the challenge and, and therein lies you know what your resources can do for you I mean we believe right now with the team that we have in London we have a deep team you know we, we, we we have a salary cap in the UK, so it's tough for us to compete. But what we've done is we have two players who only play for us in our European competition. So, so we have 12 guys who play in the BBL, and two guys will sit, and two guys will come in when we go into Europe, which means we can have even our better, two more better players to add to that squad. So that gives us a 12 man squad for Europe that we believe has the shooting that we require, because the game, you know, thanks to Steph Curry, is about putting that ball in the basket. You've got to be able to do that. Um, we've got a lot of long players, you know, led by Julian Washburn, who, you know, you see many clips of him guarding KD. Anybody in the NBA who's a threat offensively, he can guard. We have him on the team, and his length fires us up from a pressing perspective. Um, and then we've got that rim runner, pick and roll guy in Kyler Kelly. So, shooters around there, we have Dirk Williams, I believe he's one of the best shooters in Europe right now. Lorenzo Kugini who's joined us uh, for the first time, is a tremendous shooter. I think his upside is immense. So that means we can actually overpower some of the teams that we've been playing. I think looking at the teams that we have played, uh, you know, we opened up with Treviso. That was probably a bit too much for us to bite off as our first game. But since then, we've gotten better, better, and better and really pressed these guys into submission.
1: And coaches that don't have perspective on this, I mean, you're mixing in these Euro Cup games in the middle of your regular schedule. And that creates another challenge for someone who <coughs> likes to play aggressive like you do because in a way, like, you're playing different environments, different officials, different styles all the time, not to mention, obviously, the workload management for your players and uh, just tremendous point. balancing it, isn't
0: it? That's an excellent point, you know. I would Actually, the first one I would pick up is what your point on the officiating because that's the big thing. You know, it's so physical, and that's the one thing that caught us out in Treviso, how physical the referees allow them to play. We've now learned to do the same. But of course, now you come back and you play in the BBL and you can't do that. Um, And also the game style is different. And also you've got, like I mentioned, the two guys who don't play. So we've looked at all of these things and we've kind of kept our our spine together. So Isaiah Reese is our main point guard. He starts in the BBL. He starts in Europe. And then we blend the rest of the guys around him in that backcourt. Kyler Kelly, he starts in the BBL. He starts, starts in Europe. The rest of the front court is around him. So the spine doesn't change. It's just the interspersing of those guys on the side. But I think the only way we could address it, and certainly I have tried to address with my guys, is we can't worry about whether it's Medi Bay Ruth today and Newcastle Eagles tomorrow, and, and this contrasting style. We can't worry about that. Look at how we play, put how we play on the floor, and each time can we get 1% better? Every time we play, can we get 1% better? So I believe that, myself included, and our guys, great coaches working with us, we're so busy doing that that actually it overruns who we're playing because it doesn't matter. We don't have to over-allow for one team or another. We look at personnel, we put our stuff on the floor, and we go and try and be 1% better. And when you go to decide this
1: style of play, are you considering the domestic league and playing in Europe, or is the focus on the domestic league in terms
0: of deciding the best style? The best style has already been de- decided, I think, because of the personnel that we put in. Right. Um, so whatever we do in Europe, we expect it to work at home. So Europe is big for us. And, and in terms of the investment that we have and where we're going, it's important that we are successful in Europe. Uh, um, it's it's difficult to say because I want to make sure that we're British champions because we want to represent Europe as British champions. So that's important. Um, but. A lot of people are taking notice of London and British basketball because of our results in Europe. So it's critical that we keep that going to see where our level really is. Um, so, yeah, I would say that takes a slight priority at the moment.
1: Well, in my br- brief research, there's not a ton of British uh, BBL teams having a ton of success in Europe
0: as a tradition, is there? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, we, you know... Not yet. <laughs> uh, no, not yet. So uh, I think when we, it was uh, 27 years since somebody won a game or something, and then I think we went 5-0 and, oh, and, and um, you know, really blowing everybody away. And, and, and actually, you know what? I'm getting a lot of calls from coaches in the UK, players in the UK, thanking us for what we're doing. And actually, they're excited about what they could be doing in Europe. And and I'm desperate to see some other teams join us because, you know, last year when we tried to do this, COVID kind of held us back and and we missed out. So it's really only our first year of really doing it properly. Um, And and I'm sharing information with the rest of the coaches in the UK to say, first of all, yes, there are differences, but we're not that far behind. There's a lot of things that we could, easy wins that we could get uh, locally that would allow us to be better uh, in in Europe. And and that's the information I'm trying to share with other clubs so that collectively we can be better because if we have three clubs competing in Europe, just think how much better our league would, would rise up. Well, and that's the next step, right? And uh, what, what
1: are some of those things, if you could, that you shared with other coaches about or organizations about what can be done to improve overall uh, British basketball experience
0: in Europe? Well, I think the first thing I was able to, to say to some of the guys is first, you know, athletically, we are better than some of the teams in Europe right Mm -hmm. so that's the first thing and then the organizationally it's around um how do you make the best use of your practice time um, without having to practice two or three times a day like a lot of teams do in europe so you know talking to my players and players i've played with many years ago the, the issue was you could go and play and have a career in europe but your career is going to be short because you're two or three day practices and you're going to play the game and then two or three day practices the next day so we have a situation where we look at certain basketball actions, you know, that everybody knows, you know, dribble handoff, middle pick and roll, side pick and roll, all this stuff. And we incorporate this into our warm-ups, We incorporate this into our drills. We incorporate basically anytime we're on the floor, we're not just, oh, let's sprint. We're no, we're, we're sprinting to DHO, come off of that, how do you guard it this way, that way, practice more. So actually, you're covering so much work ahead of time. So when you come to scout the opposition, and it's like, oh, yeah, they come up the middle. He comes off the middle pick screen, dies out to the side. Su- well, hang on. We've just done that in all our warm-ups. We don't need to prepare for that. We, know we do that every day. And it's something that's been brought to us recently. And it's something that I've wondered why people haven't done in the past. Because it just saves you so much more time. Allows you, like you said before about the schedule, more time to rest, more time to watch video. Because you don't feel like, oh, you've got to chase because you don't know what this team's going to do or that team's going to do. We've probably covered it already in practice before we even get to that team, uh, and it just saves a lot of time. So that's one of the key things I've shared with coaches here, because you know I think maybe we're still stuck in some older style of coaching where, oh, we're just going to work on this, then we're going to work on that. No, let's work with all four at the same time. You know.
1: Well, I know I can say this because you're a member of Basketball Immersion, and uh, Alex Sarama and I both posted recently this this modern kind of warm up that you're talking about. And it's amazing the response. So I'm sure you're getting the same response from people just going, okay, this makes sense.
0: <laughs> let's, yeah. let's, let's use like our even in, to... even in, Yeah. Yeah. Because even in Europe, the coaches ask him, they said they say, Well, you do this every day? Do you do this before every game? You know. Um, so so this, you know, style of British basketball, what is it? So it's a bit of this and a bit of that. Because now you talk about some of the things that we've learned some from some of the NBA players that we've had over. You know, last year we had Byron Mullins. DeAndre Liggins, this year we've got Marcus Teague. where the workouts, it's all about the workouts in in the NBA, right? They barely get any time for team practice. It's like workout, 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 play, (laughs) you know? Um, So we're looking at that and thinking, well, actually, instead of trying to get 12 guys to warm up an hour before the game, why don't you just have three sets of workouts for 15 to 20 minutes for each group? Now you've got four guys who have the use of the court, Instead of 12 guys trying to get as many shots up as possible. That in itself means you're better prepared for the game, you know, and it's these little things, I guess these are modern techniques. We have to pick up and learn as they go. But it's these little things, I believe, um, create the confidence for the guys we have because they feel prepared every time the ball goes up.
1: Uh, So for coaches that don't uh, quite follow what we're saying, um, it would mean that, you know, if you watch an NBA pregame warmup, groups of players come out individually, work with a coach, get their warmup, and then they still have a little team warmup type thing. But the focus is on the individual and how the individual Correct. player prepares. And that's what uh, Vince is
0: sharing. Yeah. And I think it's important for those listening out there that that, that also gives them more reps, more time you know, rather than all trying to squeeze it into that 20-minute period that we all used to do.
1: <laughs> for for high school coaches or maybe club coaches uh, who don't have, say, a full hour warm-up necessarily, have you ever had that situation with double headers or different things where you've had to modify it? And if so, how have you modified that approach?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, you can modify it, and it's, it varies between, you know, sometimes we have a situation where our women play before us, so our time between the end of that game and, that, and, that, and our game is shortened but you just shorten it as required, you know, um, you know, so instead of, a, instead of 20 minutes each, maybe it becomes 10 minutes each or, or something like that. But that way, you know, if I'm a 6'10 big and I want to get some reps on my hook shot, you know, 10 minutes of that with just the three of us, is better than 20 of us and being hit in the head by all these three points.
1: So in this modern warmup, which, which totally makes sense to me, more shots for players, because that's one of the problems with layups lines, players don't get enough shots. So getting shots, which actually prepares you for the game. And then as you mentioned already, doing some team sequences that the yes, players absolutely. get the type of shots or the type of actions that they would use. Is there anything I'm missing? Correct. From that?
0: No, you're hundred percent right. Those, those team ones are absolutely critical. I think, you know, Golden State a uh, team that do that very much when you watch them warming up very much sequential. Uh, and, and that's again, more reps of what you do that you're going to do in the game.
1: Great stuff. And, uh, Another thing that goes hand in hand with your aggressive style of play, we already talked about pressing, is fast break basketball and playing fast. And uh, you reference sometimes the athletic advantage that you have over other teams. So what are some other things that stand out for you in terms of
0: the fast break? Well, I think the spacing is the biggest thing that we always try to emphasize on the fast break. You know, um, we believe that um, if we could score in the first four to six seconds, we're, we're at a high percentage, and that's something we try to do. So. You know, whether that be, you know, quick outlet passes, whether that be, you know, diagonal passes, whatever it is, that first six to eight, uh, four to six seconds is critical to us. Uh, we believe that as the seconds tick off the 24, you know, the percentage number of success drops down. So, so it, it's important for us to spread the floor, spread the floor wide, get into a quick action, try and make something happen out of that. If not, then we can go back into our, you know, pick and rolls or sets or, or whatever we want to do with that. And. But obviously critical to that is getting stopped from a defensive standpoint, hence the, hence the pressing. Because if you are able to press, get a bad shot, stop it, you've got a better chance of, uh, of, of sprinting. So, But the spacing is key for that.
1: Spacing is key. Playing fast is key. Trying to get quick shots is key. So talk to us then what happens when you don't get a quick shot. How are we flowing into offense?
0: Well, what we try to do with that is we try to look for, if we like, three points of attack. You know, so... If we can get that ball up early and we can go, we're going to go. We believe you know, our point guards and the length we have and the ability to throw the ball above the basket can get us a basket in that first four or five seconds. If not, the ball is going to the other side and we're looking for our second action. Our second action may be a short, quick action, whether that be a quick pick and roll or a UCLA action. If it doesn't happen there, then we're kicking it to a third side. So by the time you get to your third side, now, of course, you've got to be very mindful of the, of the shot clock because you've probably used 10 to 14 by that time. And, and, and they're coming down to principal situations and who the individuals you want. But it's a first action. It's a swing. Can we get something out of that? No. Get it to the other side. Can that defense guard us three times? Because if we can't get a fast break, it's because they've stopped us. If we've swung it and we can't score, it's because they've recovered. Can they recover a third time? Mostly they can't. Obviously, great teams can, but mostly they can't. And then it becomes a case of maybe our second best attacker against their fifth worst defender you know, that kind of situation.
1: And another part of the aggressive style is to shoot threes. And you're, you're not the only one to shoot threes, obviously nowadays, but is it driven by personnel, driven by <clears> analytics <throat> or driven
0: by philosophy? It's driven initially by philosophy, which allows you to then go and recruit who you think you can. Um, ironically, I feel like this year, we're a little down on our numbers of threes compared to last year. We we were very good last year in terms of numbers. I think we're at about 37 to 38 uh, a game. Um, Attempts I'll a game? Go with my Attempts, yes. Yes, um, our goal this year was to try and get above forty. Um, we haven't; we're not above forty yet, but we're still trying to go in that direction. I think the quality of opposition has been high this year for us, um, so maybe that's held us down a, a little bit. But also, we've had a lot of new guys, and a lot of you know, when you've got a team where only two guys returning or something like that, you're spending a lot more time at, um, assimilating the style before you actually really develop and put it on the floor. So maybe we're slower than we were previously when we had you know eight, nine returnees. It becomes a bit easier. But my goal always is to try and get to that 40 in three-point attempts. Uh, last year in our league, we took the most amount, we made the most amount, and we shot the highest percentage. So that's got to be your goal.
1: Hey, Coach, we have a new sponsor that you guys are going to love. Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to profit off your sports knowledge. On Symbol, you can trade sports teams like stocks, and every time your team wins, you earn cash. Using your sports knowledge on Symbol to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your team wins. Join the 7,000-plus early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite team. Visit www.symbol.com to create a free account, and when you deposit, make sure you use the promo code SD to make your deposit risk-free. It's a good formula for success nowadays, isn't it? Um, just wondering then, um, uh, where are you finding or what are you emphasizing in terms of creating those 40 attempts? Where are the places that you're finding most of those attempts?
0: Well, I think I've seen you do your podcast on a, on a couple of other things and I, you know, obviously everybody talks about the two side and the corner and the, and, the, and, the, and the drag 45. Those are the kind of things that we look for. You know, it allows us to get the flow right into the corner on one side, right to the corner on the other side. You have a big that can shoot the ball trailing it. You've got a great point guard that can find them. Um, And that's where you're looking for your first four to six seconds. You know, if you can get that, you should get easy looks on those ones. Um, If you're not, that's where your second side action, drive, sucks the defense in. Better thing again, you still got those guys outside. So that's how we try to look for it. Um, We don't really post anybody up or have a big there. We don't do that. It's about the running big, rolling big, dunking big, spread the floor.
1: Well, it's two sides. So early and opposite. So you're trying to attack the weak side a little bit, That's and that right. early, early hit to the weak side that creates an advantage, right? So you're getting some threes off of that. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. And then so, can you,
0: you know, yeah, just talk well, about that a little bit more, please. Yeah, I mean, early and opposite is absolutely critical. So um, if you look at the team that we have at the moment that starts in Europe, it's got you know uh, Marcus Teague on it. It's got Isaiah on it, So it doesn't matter who gets the ball; they can go. And obviously, we know Marcus Teague is the scorer, so. The first thing he's going to do is look to go and score. If he can go, he's going to go. If he can't, he's going to go early and opposite. And who have you got? You've got Isaiah Reese. In the corner, you've got Dirk Williams. Um, you've got Lorenzo trailing. You know, these are guys that will hit that three. So we've got the threats. And I think the opposition knows we've got the threats, which means they can either take their chances or they can come out to us. Um, mostly they're coming out to us at the moment, which may account for a slightly lower number, but that just allows Isaiah Reese and Marcus to get to the rack. And, and that's what we've been doing so far. At some point, We believe in this next stage of competition. Those teams are going to maybe come off us a little bit and see if we can make those shots. We believe we can, but that's what they're going to. I believe that's the next stage. Um, But you're, you're you're quite right. It's you know early and opposite is my favorite. I absolutely love that ball crossing the halfway line in the end.
1: Well, and we're gonna. I want to come back to something you just said there. But first, the other part that you mentioned is driving the forty-five, which which is such an important part of any transition. I think nowadays is with you have that player run hard to the corner, the second player delays a little bit off that two side. If you hit them in space, they just have this whole
0: gap to drive. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. I mean, I was, you know, we always talk about double gaps, you know, initially and creating a space for a double gap. Um, I think if you've got a, a trading three or a trading four that can hit the shot deep, that gives you that extra space with the guy in the corner. So any defense that's, that's kind of flooding the middle and coming down, they have to respect the corner. You know, and they have to respect the 45. And, and, and that space is what's going to allow you, for your creative guys, to go to work, especially if you then swing it across. You know, um, I think players, players are learning that they can delay that 45. And I think that's the biggest teaching point to players is delaying that 45 because normally everybody's rushing. Actually, there's no need to rush because that's a, that shot is a shot you step into. So actually think how much further back you can be, and that gives you even more space.
1: It's great stuff. And uh, the other thing you mentioned is obviously when teams start to adjust to your transition spacing, uh, good teams then can take advantage of that adjustment, which is mainly driving from the point, point guard push until they're stopped and those different things. And clearly you have the personnel that can do that.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. And you're quite right. It's, it's, it's the personnel because you need that guy that can do that. But also you need your rolling big that's also holding that threat, which means someone's going to have to come and tag. If they don't, it's an easy bucket. And it's a battle and 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 that's what we see now, I think we lost our, our our first game in a competition um to Mary Bay Ruth, um and what they did there was they actually taught us the other way because they actually shot the three ball better than we did in that game. um so I, they were playing us at our game, and they were more successful at it uh, in in the first half because you know it kind of blew us away in the first half, then they had fifty eight points. We held them to thirty seven in the second half, but it, you know we were not a so What I'm seeing at this level as we step up a level is that's great, but good teams are going to score, and and that's going to be your challenge when they do so. It's such
1: an important part of the professional game, and and watching some of your clips, getting ready for this. I saw this, and you mentioned rolling bigs already. Can you talk a little bit, because your rolling bigs do a really good job at that quick score or pass decision? Because, again, they have to operate in the zero seconds domain, or we lose advantage because the defense recovers. Can you talk a little bit about that and then how you train that?
0: Well, I mean, obviously, when you go into that pick and roll, the defense, the defense will have some choices, you know, uh, you know whether they're going to hard-hedge you, whether they're going to sag off you, et cetera. Obviously, if you've got a, an athletic roller above the rim, they have to respond to that. So one of the ways they can respond to that is hold him up, uh, not allow him to get to the ring, bring help from the side. Um, so our bigs have got to understand that I'm not going to be allowed to get to the rim on this occasion. What, what's my action? I've got to be short rolling. I've got to be able to see the ball with my hands, and I've got to be able to make a decision. And that decision is probably not going to be about me. It's going to be about the corner on the opposite, the guy cutting from behind, so I can make a nice pass for someone to get a layup or a wide open shot. So that, that becomes that. So now you're rolling big. Of course, yes, he can roll and dunk the ball, but actually he's got to be intelligent enough to do that action. You know, roll, short, catch it, hit it, make a decision. You know, and we train that by doing that every day. And that's a drill. You know, when we talk about the warm up or we talk about some of those things, that's a drill that we do every single day you know um, and it's also incorporated into the workouts for the bigs because it's it's not natural necessarily um, and it's something you're going to have to teach them Uh, we find something with our British bigs something that we have to teach them because that's now your bigs are actually playing basketball and and obviously in the past we haven't necessarily encouraged bigs to do that we encourage them to post up turn around finish kick out if they're double teamed that kind of stuff now they're actually involved in the game and I guess if you again look back to some of the hybrid stuff I talked about in terms of the NBA you look at what I could term the smaller bigs, you know, your Draymond Greens and people like that who are kind of a big guard or a small big, they'd make those kind of decisions as part of their, their livelihoods. And now we've got to try and get our British bigs to be able to do that because that's an absolute key factor in, uh, in able to play this game because otherwise you can't keep your guys spread out you know, and punish the guys on the middle.
1: Well, it's a modern approach to it as well, uh, which we're seeing. Uh, the other part is whether you set the screen or you ghost the screen. And you see this yeah. a lot or or you twist the screen, which is set it at a different yep. angle and the variability that exists within your team when they come to set a screen. So can you talk a little bit about that, too, how you train them to be able to make those dis- different set or not set decisions?
0: Yeah, I think those things come from when we scout the opposition uh, and we recognize what it is they try to do. I mean, uh, so so if you've got like we have we have a you know, very dominant uh, point guard. Uh, We have a very athletic big, and we have shooters. So coming off a screen, you've got a choice as a coach. Am I going to actually flatten out and let them pass the ball? Is the point guard trying to shoot out of the the pick and roll? Am I going to try and trap him and and force him to pass the ball in a different direction? Um, Am I going to crowd him so if that big can't do the short roll, they can't play? Um, So based on what those – and we've had lots of different variations of that this year. So you based on that scouting, you can then say, okay, right, this is what they're doing. So you're gonna sucker them in firstly. Uh, so you're gonna you're gonna um, stay. And then once they've got their trap, think, okay, great. Now we know afterwards that we're gonna ghost them after that because we know they're gonna leave you alone. Now, of course, you're gonna have to make a decision because if you slip it and we find you, someone's running towards you from somewhere and you're gonna make that decision. So again, you practice that within that. And I think to the point I made earlier on about how much can you cover in one training session. It shows you that if you keep on doing this on a daily basis, you're actually doing multiple coverages defensively. Um, and, and that's what's going to make your team better at it.
1: So great, great insights uh, about being aggressive on offense. So I'm curious then if this, how does this aggressive offensive style and this pressing style then translate into your half-court defense? What are some of the cornerstones of what you're doing defensively
0: in the half-court? <laughs> we, we, we try to keep you out of the paint. Uh, th- that's number one, um, and we're going to give you contested shots, you know. If you want to come in and take a long two, that's up to you, but if, we, we don't mind contesting anybody on a three-point shot, but we're not going to allow you into the into the key. That's that's key for us. So if you watch games and people are getting into our paint, you know we're not, we're not locked in. Um, uh, our whole belief is that we're not going to over-deny people. We're going to keep you in front of us. We believe our length will, will do that. We believe we can help better that way. Um, and we're going to contest all of those shots hard. You know, we we don't care. We, we might fly by; it doesn't matter. We're not going to chop the steps. Nothing, nothing like that. We're going to fly out, stop. You know, challenge that shot and try and get that rebound. Um, that's that's our philosophy there. You know, we don't. Uh, you know, we don't get to a situation where we push you to the sides or, or or this kind of stuff. We try to keep you right in front of us.
1: Well, talk to us just briefly about the fly by because uh, that's that's a fascinating thing. Mainly again personnel driven against a great shooter, but it tends to be more consistent with a pressing style. Uh, and I used it as well when we pressed a lot that flyby. So can you explain that a little bit to coaches?
0: Yeah, so obviously you know back certainly when you get into high school basketball and, and back in the day, the, the, the coaching points were that you were to challenge every shot, but challenge it in a situation by chopping your steps as you get there, so you, get, you don't get beaten on the drive. Well. Once a good three-point shooter knows that's what you're doing, then he doesn't even see you. He just catches the ball and rises up. And actually, you can't impact that because you've already given yourself uh, a window—a window to stop with. So for us, the flyby, because I can come over further to help, knowing I'm going to fly by because I know I can sprint as hard as I can to that flyby. So that buys me more real estate to go and help my teammates on the other side of the floor. Now it doesn't matter if I'm going to go and try and close out on Steph Curry or somebody else who can't shoot the ball. I'm still going to close out in exactly the same way, albeit I'm coming from a further distance. Now, which that means, that's, as that ball goes to you, I'm going to come out as hard as I can, hands up, and challenge that shot, right hand, left hand, depending on what kind of a shooter you are. Um, what that's going to do is make you do one of two things, okay? You can hesitate and then look to shoot when I've gone by you, assuming I can't turn around and come back. Or you're going to come inside and take a, a two-point shot. Now, as long as I've got someone behind me supporting me in as much as I've just supported my teammate, that should mean that you're actually taking a much more of a shot. Well, and we've mentioned this on the podcast
1: once before uh, with this pressing style, that essentially what it becomes is just a regular baseline rotation. But the other part of it is essentially becomes this peel switch concept that is a peel switch. Yep. But prior to that, this is just literally, you can't recover, so sprint to the weak
0: side and get back. Correct, correct. And I mean... It takes time. Uh, I mean, where are we now? December. We've been together four months now. We haven't quite got to where we want to get to on the next and the peel as, as good as we'd like to. Um, but we're getting there certainly in terms of covering all drives to, to the basket and all drives on the baseline. Um, and I'm enjoying this because you, you can build this as over time, you know, and if we can bring some more guys back. We're just going to get better and better at it. Um, but I believe it's a much more exciting form of basketball. It means more of your players can do more defensively, you know, because um, now you don't have to worry about whether you're going to beat me off of, off of that dribble because it doesn't matter if you do or not. Um, but everybody, everybody can sprint and jump and contest.
1: Coach, one of the one of the great synergies that I'm seeing with your organization is this this relationship with Barking Abbey and then some of the development routes that players, as you talked about before, uh, and moving on a pathway. So can you talk a little bit about the relationship and how
0: you support a club below you like that, right? So, I mean, the first thing within the Abbey relationship is we brought them into our organization, so they now they will now play as as London Lions too. But you know, my relationship with Barkinabi goes down many years. You know, the founder founder there, Mark Clark, um, is someone that we've competed against each other for many many a year. Uh, Lloyd Gardner, who since left, is now the head coach of the Manchester Giants, and now the head coach down there, James Veer, who's doing a tremendous job as, as his brother Steve did. Now, um, I think. Where we talked about how do we give that package for the young player uh, to not go to the States, right? So you can have a situation where, because they're in an academy at Barking, they can take youngsters from the age of um, 17, 18, 19. So if we've got, like we have at Barkin, right now, we have a young lad there called uh, Zamuku. He's, uh, he's just over 17, six foot seven, really good prospect, and he can come and visit the school, see what it looks like. And when he gets there and he thinks he's coming to listen to how he's going to play in the academy leagues and something else, and then Coach James says, right, Zamaku, get in the car. Here we go. Brings him down to the London Lions practice session. Here's Coach Vince. You know, here's the rest of Coach Nick, Coach Youngblood, you know, uh, Coach Dave Greenaway, who coaches the University of East London. And then Zamoku's thinking, well, how, where does this fit in? And Coach says, well, look, you know, you're going to be training and playing with us Black Navi as London Lions too. Well, you're part of this club. You're part of this whole structure. So what will happen is twice a week, Coach Vince is going to want to see you practicing with the men, and he's thinking, well, I'll be practicing with Marcus Teague. Yes, you'll be because we'll be trying to develop the same systems. So you know, you leave school, you'll be practicing here with us. You go back to school. When you go into your games, you you'll have realized, oh, I see, I could do that particular part of the play better. I could run the flow better a little bit over here. You're learning it from the guys who are doing it at the highest professional level, right? So what that does is. He knows that's going to accelerate his development. You know, now we had a situation earlier in the season where we had to isolate because of COVID and we asked London Lions 2, which is Labby, to play in the competition for us. And they played in the competition and they won. So he's sitting there thinking, I'm 17 and a half. I've already played a BBL game. I've won. I'm undefeated. I'm a practice with Marcus T. I've got everything I want. You know, and that partnership and what Coach James and the rest of his crew are doing there is critical because... If the players can be pushed and played to a higher level, they're going to develop faster, you know. So at 19, he might have had two and a half years' professional engagement already, you know. And I think that's why those pathways of, uh, and it's not just the men because you know Mark Clark coaches our women's team. We've got the women's academy structure. Everything's exactly the same, you know. And that's where, when you, if so on some days you could come to our practice facility, and the men are practicing, the women are practicing. We've got training going on. We've got 10 coaches all going nuts with each other, bouncing ideas off each other and stuff like that. And you take a step back and you think, wow, this is just brilliant to develop because we all face the same problems. How do I do that better? How do I do this better? You know, come on, have a look. This is what they're doing over there. You know, and it's all under the same roof. I think those kind of things are what will allow our sports to germinate and, and grow more. And that's why a lot of clubs have women's teams, junior teams, academy teams, because we need that synergy with each other. It's it's awesome.
1: It's fascinating because we're going to watch this continue to grow uh, from the outside looking in. Um, one of the other things I think you can offer some real value to especially say high school coaches or, or smaller college coaches or smaller club coaches around the world, because one of the things that you have to vie for is attention in a market that doesn't necessarily know they want to value you yet. So can you talk <laughs> about some of those ways? Because I think we can tell from listening to you, you're passionate,
0: but you have to be a promoter as much as a coach and an owner, right? Oh, 100%. 100%. And, you know, to what I said to you before about how I saw the community being involved in this club, um, we're in London, and I think we have five Premier League football teams. I mean, 200 yards from us, we have West Ham in the Olympic Stadium. So, we're not going to get any minutes on the newspaper or, or or the TV local, uh, nationally. So what we have to do is almost hand-to-hand combat to bring people in. I have never seen anybody who goes to a basketball game for the first time, as, as lots do in the UK, and think, oh, I didn't like that. I see people come and think, wow, I never knew this was on my doorstep. You know? So we've got to find a different way to make that. So my view has always been that, well, you know, I'm, so I'm a Liverpool fan, right? I'm, I'm a mad Liverpool fan, Jurgen Club, everything else. And because I was born there, my mom's from there. So I care. So actually, the only reason I follow Liverpool is because I care. So how can we make the youngsters and the families care about our basketball team? So if we have a program where he's got 200 kids at the age of eight, 200 kids at the age of 10, 12, they've all got sisters, brothers, moms, dads, aunties, uncles. We have a situation where they all wear the Lions uniform. So if you have if you're our know, junior program and... Um, you, wear the, you have the uniform. You can come to the game. The men's game for free. And if you come for free, you can bring somebody for $5, right? So, actually, we got all these people out there promoting for us, you know, saying, yeah, I'm a lion. Look at my uniform. Do you want to come? It's only $5. $5, yeah, come on. So, on the ground roots level, you've got this going on, right? Then, secondly, you've got to get the press to actually come and taste and see what they're, they they're doing. And the British press seem to only understand international competition, right? If it's not football, that is. They seem to only understand international competition. So when you say, oh, we've just beaten the team from Germany, we've just beaten the team from Austria or wherever, they understand that. They say, well, what, you mean you've got, the British team has won? Yes. So they'll come and see the next game, you know, and then they'll realize that we've actually got something bubbling. We're in a fantastic facility. It's a 7,000-seater, copper box arena, blah, blah, blah. We don't sell it out every week, but we're slowly growing. And people are beginning, the people who come, 1,000, 2,000, 2, they care about what's going on. And my job is to go out there and let people know that there's something in your community that you can care about. Because in this day and age, I mean, we're all coming out of the pandemic and everything else. Um, people are now, <coughs> excuse me, realizing that the community is what it's all about. The people that I meet, the people I say hello to every day on the bus stop, wherever it may be, we are a community and we need each other. And that's what basketball has always been good at. You know, always been good at. It doesn't matter where in the world, you know? And, and I go out there and I just rattle that, rattle that, and rattle that because you can't sit, the, you can't get anything better than sitting courtside and hearing those shoes bang past you, boom, boom, boom. And you say, wow. You know, as a fan, you've got to love that, you know? And then, of course, our players are accessible. At the end of the game, you gonna have autographs signed upstairs. They, you know, they'll come over and thank people for coming to the game. Thank people for coming to the game. I mean, which other sport thanks people for coming to the game? Uh, it's only basketball as far as I know. <laughs> so that's what we try to do.
1: Uh, it's great stuff great insights for, for all of us that are vying for attention of people uh, beyond our current program and to bring them into the fold is pretty cool. And uh, I know another thing that's important to you is is being mixed race and using that platform to be able to, again, connect beyond where you are to be able to inspire young people and uh, people in your community to be able to support uh, your community.
0: Now, nah, that's, that's that's a big thing and, and a very astute point there. You know, when, as a young person growing up, no matter who you are you know, at all, if you don't see people like you in, 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 people, in places of, of, of ongoing success or, or progressive. You don't think those things are for you. You know, and when we have a world that's unbalanced in that scenario, whether you're mixed race, you're black you're Indian, whatever you may be, if you don't see people like you doing it, you don't consider doing it. You know? So it's, you know, I, I was the only black owner of a, of a basketball club for 25 years. You know, uh, I'm a head coach. And I know that there are other young boys and girls out there looking at me as a head coach thinking, wow, does that mean I could be a head coach? And that's what I say all the time. I mean, you're probably aware that, you know, unfortunately, we had a female head coach, Andrea Borland, Andrea who, who passed away recently, but she's the only female professional basketball coach in this country. So, and, and we have lots of young girls in our, in our coaching program who came because of her, because they looked at that and thought, I can see Coach Vince there, I can see some seven-foot guy, and I can see short Coach Andrea, you know, giving instructions, blah, blah, blah. That is, I could do that. And I, I feel the, the weight to, to show that there's nothing you can't achieve. It doesn't matter, you know. And, and that's something I really have championed uh, all of my life because, you know, I, I want people to always believe that they can do whatever it is they want, you know. And if, I, if someone can look at me doing whatever I am, yelling and shouting at the sideline or consoling somebody or, or just talking about the game and they feel they can be part of that, that's got to be as far, as far as I'm concerned, that, that, that's great.
1: Tremendous, coach. uh, Tremendous. And uh, I cannot thank you enough for sharing the game with us. Uh, Just so many insights and uh, so much passion on display for basketball. And we can't wait to watch you and others continue to grow British basketball. So thanks for sharing
0: the game with us. A pleasure to be on your program. And thank you so much for having me.
1: Hey, coach. The best player development is coach development. It's never too late to join basketballimmersion.com. And now we've added two more courses, one on youth basketball coaching and one on advanced pick and roll concepts. Now you have over 25 courses to be able to learn from in addition to 600 videos and 70 plus master classes from experts around the world. In addition to an engaged, like-minded community, go to basketballimmersion.com or DM at bball immersion on Twitter to get started today.